Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Off the Shelf. I recorded this episode way back in either late December or early January. Uh, and a lot has happened in the world since then. So if any of these references are out of date, that's when we recorded it. I hope you enjoy. This week, my guest is Millie Walton. I first became aware of Millie when I read an article that she wrote for Citizen Femme, where she's the fiction editor. It was an interesting article about the best books that she read this year. So obviously, she's a fellow kindred spirit, so I had to ask her to come on. Hi, Millie. Hi, Phoebe. Thank so you so much for having me. You're very welcome. So Millie Walton is a London-based art and fiction writer. She is a graduate of the MFA at the University of East Anglia. For those of you who don't know, the MFA at East Anglia is the top level, would you call it creative writing masters exactly? Yeah, I think you would say that. Um, yeah, there yeah, are it, very, very many well-known, well-renowned authors that have taken this. So just to set the tone high, Millie is obviously going to have some brilliant picks. She oh no, now you put a lot of pressure on me. <laughs> she began her career at Condé Nast before going freelance and is currently the digital and art editor of Lux magazine and the fiction editor of Citizen Femme, which is where I encountered her, and a staff writer for the art journal Trebuchet. She writes the text for upcoming exhibitions at all of Kristen. Now I'm going to ask Millie to pronounce this artist's last name because I don't want to butcher it. Her name is Kristen. <laughs> Hello, Gerd. Beautiful pronunciation, Millie. She writes She's the text for all of Kirsten's art galleries in London, Berlin, and Norway, and has contributed to contributed arts and culture features to a range of international publications, including the likes of Aesthetica and Elephant. She has also edited arts catalogues and artist books in translation and is currently working on her debut novel. And now I can finally take a breath because that is a lovely list of achievements. Welcome, Millie. Thank you so much. What an introduction. I mean, you know how to make a girl feel inadequate. <laughs> so Millie, tell us about how you got into writing. Was it something you always did as a child or did you discover it later in life? Yes, um, I've always written, but from when I was really young, I think for me it was uh, sort of my natural way of expressing and sort of not just even expressing myself because when I was little I definitely wasn't writing to be read although obviously that's a whole topic of conversation because people say that uh, when you write you're always writing to be read but anyway I um, I was writing I guess to try and understand the world um, and so I've got all these notebooks from when I was really little of quite strange stories um, which I would never want anyone to see. They're normally accompanied by really quite scary drawings actually, um, sort of like stick men but sinister stick men. Um, and yeah so I, I've written throughout that period of my life, throughout my childhood and then I began to take it a bit more seriously uh, when I was at my undergraduate and I wrote a piece of short fiction, actually, for my dissertation. I studied English literature. Um, and it was my tutor who just said, you know, I, I really think that you should think about pursuing this. And of course, I'd always wanted to do that. But being a writer isn't 
something well it just didn't really seem like a feasible career to me I think even at that stage even in my early 20s it sort of felt like saying I want to be a princess you know no I, I know what you mean the the old trope of the starving writer who yeah exactly for their art exactly um but then yeah so then I decided to I I'd had I had all these stories um, and I just decided I would submit a short story to the to UEA and see if I could get in. Um, and I really didn't think I would. And I had a really torturous interview to get in. Um, but I did. And the course was uh, really helpful. And just, just in terms of me taking my work seriously and meeting other amazing writers uh, who are now my friends and that we can sort of talk about writing. And then when I'm feeling anxious or sort of at, well occasionally with the book which I'm currently writing there are definitely moments of what I feel like is a catastrophe and then I can speak to uh, to some of my friends and they can help clarify the process which is nice. Yeah it's so helpful to have kind of willing friends to to read your work I've definitely forced some of my friends into reading my work as well so I completely get it. Yeah I think it's really important actually and, to, and the art writing sort of came about through fiction in a weird way. I've always, um, I've always loved art and found it sort of a break, I suppose, because I think, well, obviously I think in words, I express myself in words, my, everything I do is based around language. And I find sort of being in the presence of visual art can be really e energizing and, um, or calming. I also like looking at somebody else's creative practice and sort of writing about it from a distance because sometimes it helps me to think about mine from a distance too. Um, and I find, you know, I get to meet a lot of artists who are expressing themselves in a very different way to me, but often kind of engaging with the same themes. And I just find it, it's just the best really meeting, you know, meeting artists who do all sorts of strange and wonderful things with photography, sculpture, whatever it is. Um, yeah, so I feel very lucky that that's part of my job. So after that brief introduction, let's move on to the book that you chose as your first pick. And I gave you a list of prompts and for the first book you went for your favourite fiction book. So tell us which book you've chosen and why. So I chose The Body Artist by Don DeLillo. Um, I would like to say that it is one of my favourite fiction books. I, I don't know whether I could say that it was my all-time favourite fiction book, mainly because I just love so many books. And probably if you asked me tomorrow, I'd say something else. But You would be surprised how, how much <laughs> a theme that is on this podcast. Lots of bookish type people come on here and they say it. And they say, oh, oh, really? I, panicked. I panicked when I saw the prompt and I've just picked one, but on any given day and maybe in the future, it's probably going to change. So that comes up a lot. Well, yeah. And also I think with books, I'm, I, I don't know whether you'll agree with this, but I feel like books really, so the reading experience of them change depending on where you are in life, you know, what you're, what you're doing at that time, how you're feeling. There are so many different things that alter the experience of reading it. And, uh, you know, sort of sentences jump out at you at some point in your life and at other times you would just glaze over them. So I think, I mean, the body artist has 
is probably one of the books that has really stayed with me for the longest time that I, I actually have a copy with me um, whenever I go anywhere, really. <laughs> uh, and it's very faded and uh, well-worn, well-thumbed. Um, mainly because I just find it extremely, well, it's an extremely beautiful book. It's very slit. It's a very short novel. It's quite experimental. Um, but Don DeLillo is an interesting writer in the sense that he is generally quite experimental. His books are always quite different. And though I feel like he's always sort of striving for quite similar things in the books, he sort of approaches it from different angles. And for me as a writer, I find that really inspiring like I hope that I would keep that I hope that my next book will be different and then I'll keep trying to sort of push and challenge myself through my writing which I think he does I mean he's also just an excellent writer um and yeah so the book is it's just quite um a straightforward story in some ways it's a it's largely about grief um but it's also got sort of elements of the supernatural in, but not in a way as in, oh, here's a ghost. It's sort of more subtle than that and to do with sort of psychological experience of grief. Um, and Don DeLillo just writes about human behavior and uh, everyday life in such an incredibly profound way. I, and I, I, I kind of hate the fact that I've just said profound, um, but, uh, I guess I mean profound in the fact that he makes things like running the tap seem like this very significant, loaded, beautiful action, which, you know, we do all the time. We never really think about it. And I find that when you read his book and then you do some of these things that you start thinking about what you're doing in a different way. It's really, yeah, it's a really special, really special book. I have to say, I hadn't heard of Don DeLello until you brought him to my attention. And now I've done some research about him. I can see what you mean about him being someone who is experimental in his writing style. And obviously his books are quite different from each other, which is a bit odd because I'm sure as you and our listeners are aware, a lot of authors stick to a genre. Um, yeah. Although there's some kind of variation in the books, they do kind of write to their audience. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I think... There are other writers obviously like him who are experimental as well. And actually, I think we'll, we'll probably talk about that a bit more when we come to the other books I've picked. And you'll probably start to get a sense of what I, you know, what I find admiring in a writer, which I think probably is experimentation, largely. Um, and it's the same with art, actually. I think I, I just find there's a huge bravery to sort of reinventing yourself a little bit. With each, with each thing that you make um, and sort of stepping out into the dark. But then I also sometimes feel like perhaps for writers like Don Delillo, I'm actually, well, I'm about to say something which I don't know if it's true at all, but I wonder if, I wonder if for him, that's a way that he, he can write, that it's necessary to him somehow to have that sense of risk. Um, I actually don't know whether that is true, so, don't take that as don't take that as the truth necessarily but I I I guess I think when somebody is brave enough to experiment it suggests that is necessary to how they create yeah I mean I like I said I hadn't heard of him but now I you've mentioned him I have done some research and he does sound like someone I should read maybe he's one of those 
authors that everyone should read at least one book of his in their lifetime. Um, and I think you've actually massively sold me on his work. But moving on to your, your next pick, and I'm interested to see how, what our readers think of your, your picks as they unfold and what you said about how you like a, a certain kind of book. So the next prompt I gave you was your favourite non-fiction book. So did you tell us what you've chosen and why? Yeah, so this is Confabulations by John Berger. So John Berger is one of those incredibly talented uh, people who's just sort of good at everything or was very good at everything because he died in 2017, I think. Um, he himself, were, he went to, I think, Camberwell Art School. So he was a painter, he was a poet, um, he was an art critic and also a philosopher and he wrote fiction. He actually won the Booker Prize for his novel, G. Um, so I and, can imagine he's, a. God, imagine having him over for dinner and you just sit there and think, just let him talk and talk at you. I know, that would be the dream, really. Um, yeah, I actually was very envious. I read in The Guardian an interview with him, which was by a writer who'd met him quite close uh, to quite, uh, yeah, I think it was, I think he died quite shortly after the interview. And I just thought, what an amazing sort of life-changing <laughs> meeting, I'm sure it was. Um, but yeah, so John Berger, he's probably best known for, he wrote Ways of Seeing, uh, which anyone who studies art or was sort of interested in art has probably read it. It's um, it's the clues in the title. It's mainly about sort of perspective and the way that we look at and consume images. And I think his, I think this particular book of essays, so Confabulations is a book of essays, but it's, it's not essays in the sense um, of sort of like putting a thesis forward it's kind of more thoughts about different things. So um, art and politics and uh, language itself. So a lot of, in fact, the main, I would say the main theme is really about language. And there's a, one of my favorite chapters in it is called How to Resist a State of Forgetfulness. Uh, and that's actually that, talking about- That sounds a beautiful chapter. I need that <laughs> at the moment. I know, and actually I really feel like everyone should read at least this chapter. Um, mainly it's about the fact that co the contemporary world that we live in is uh, sort of very much focused on, um, I suppose, media and sort of empty language and uh, empty images, things that don't sort of, there's not enough, basically it's to do with sort of moving very quickly and not really reflecting on the past. Um, I have to admit that I particularly like the essay because it resonates with quite a few things that I've been thinking about with my own book. But, um, and I do find that my writing does definitely reflect, well, sorry, my reading definitely reflects my writing often. Um, but this book I have kept coming back to and he writes very accessibly as well. So it's not sort of heavy theory at all. It's more, it sort of feels like you're having a conversation when you're reading it. Um, they're very short chapters. He's got little drawings that he's done in there as well. And yeah, something to have on your shelf, I think. That's really interesting. And I think uh, my listeners will notice a theme here when you 
talk about these very high caliber books that you've picked and I'm there like oh I've never never read the read the book or heard of the author and this is another one of those but in doing my research for this interview I really have looked into him and he does seem like someone who again as I said before with Don DeLello everyone should read one of his books in in your lifetime <laughs> yeah and you know what I haven't read his uh, I've read a few short stories of um of his but I've never read his novel um and in fact he might have had more than one novel obviously there was the novel I mentioned which um yeah which won the booker but I haven't read any of his other fiction I'd really love to but I also I just love the title of this particular set of essays so confabulation um it is basically a memory um which has been sort of distorted or um, it's when sort of memory is blurred with reality and yeah just it's kind of I, I think it's actually I think in psychology it's actually uh, considered a sort of memory disorder sort of conflating memory with the present moment but I just thought it was yeah a brilliant brilliant title for this book. Definitely and again it's one that in doing the research for this interview I have really become a convert to his work and I did ask my mum the other day for this book so let's let's hope oh did you oh, I'm, I'm so excited fingers crossed that you get it for Christmas let's hope tier for allowing um she delivers uh, no pressure well, mom if you're no pressure mum if you're listening to this <laughs> otherwise Phoebe you'll have to send me your address well Good. this is what I live for in life free books <laughs> um so moving on to your next book, the last book to make you cry. Yes. Tell us about which book you've chosen and why. So I chose Summer by Ali Smith, um, which perhaps somebody else has chosen on your podcast because I, um, I think it's a really well-read book, mainly because Ali Smith's seasonal quartet, of which this is the last book, um, has been really popular. And I actually have to admit, I came to Ali Smith quite late um i probably only started reading her about two or three years ago and when i started reading her i haven't really been able to stop i've become a bit of an addict i think again she's extremely innovative with language and the way and the things that she writes about and the way that she tells the story um, but she's also a very sensitive and unjudgmental writer and her characters always really stay with you and i think summer was an interesting one to read um, because it deals actually very much with the present moment. So it talks about uh, the refugee crisis and it talks about coronavirus, <laughs> which uh, probably lots of your listeners will be groaning at this point because you're not exactly wanting to hear any more about coronavirus. But actually, I thought that that would be my reaction too, but I found it really... I found that having her perspective on the time that we're living in was actually really helpful and sort of filled me with joy. I think it was funny because when it, the last book that made me cry, and I guess the question is, you know, why did it make me cry? Um, I think it made me cry really because it was a really hopeful book. And so the t it, it wasn't tears because I was sad. Um, it was mainly because there's so much hope in it and so much sort of 
positivity and that and it you know it deals with very serious themes and um very serious issues uh in contemporary culture and life and yet it's kind of creates this sense this really amazing togetherness feeling of togetherness um which was amazing i mean have you read it phoebe well, I was about to say, I'm very happy about the way you're talking about it, because I've actually only read the first in the quartet, which is Autumn. So yeah. I was a bit worried about what spoilers you'd give away talking about the last one, but you've been very good. Well, I'm, try I'm trying not to give any spoilers away in terms of uh, plot of these books, mainly because I hope that everyone reads them. Exactly. And like I said, I've read the first one, which is Autumn, and that came out um, a good few years ago now, actually. I can't remember when. But like you, I came a bit late to it. I only read Autumn earlier this year, when, as I'm sure many people did have a lot more time on their hands um, due to some work plans falling through. And mm. it, it is very good. And I do plan to read the next three in the quartet. So hopefully all of my listeners will want to read it, too. Yeah, and I, I should say that I don't, I don't necessarily, having read them all, I don't necessarily think that you have to read them in order or, you know, all of them at all. I think you Really? Can that's, that's very interesting because obviously normally with a series, you do need mm. to read them to understand what's going on. No, I mean, there, so there are recurring characters in some of them, which is really nice. And it's a nice, it's kind of that feeling of satisfaction when you're like, oh, I know this person, which obviously you don't, but with Ali Smith's characters, you always feel like that, I think. Um, but I would say they stand completely alone as well. I, I mean, definitely I would recommend reading all four because I felt like getting to the end of summer and finishing it was, yeah, is, together it makes an incredible piece of art, really, the four books. But, but yeah, they do stand by themselves for sure. That is... That's really interesting. I, like I said, I had planned to read the following three in the quartet, but now I definitely will. And I'll keep an eye out for the recurring characters. Mm, yes, do. So moving on to your fourth pick, you've gone for the book that you think everyone should read. Yes. And I've realised I sort of said that about all my books. <laughs> Which well, I think, I think there's nothing more glowing about a book than you recommending it to other people yes and it's I obviously reading is an extremely personal experience and um yeah so I wouldn't necessarily say that everyone should read it but I do think so the book that I think everyone should read is The Argonauts by Maggie Nelson and this one perhaps more so than the others I think everyone should give it at least a at least a go and see how they see how they encounter it. So Maggie Nelson is actually a poet um, as well as a writer of fiction, and her or I sh well, fiction is a kind of loose term here because the Argonauts is sort of is very intertextual, so it weaves in bits of uh, philosophy and psychology poetry all these different things and it's actually written in very short little paragraphs like little clouds of thought um which makes it a really lyrical read and yeah i think to call it well it's certainly not a novel um because it's about her relationship with the artist harry dodge who is transgender um it begins with a really interesting discussion about sort of pronouns and 
we're not necessarily even well it talks a bit about which pronoun is most appropriate or preferred by harry but also which pronoun is most appropriate to sort of describing their relationship and their closeness um which i think is really interesting and it talks a lot about motherhood um and it's a very raw piece of writing it's really vulnerable um it's really human i guess and there's a there's a sort of strong focus on like i said on relationship and and love different forms of love and physicality and the body and the experience of of sort of living being a physical being um living in the world and yeah i highly recommend it your final book is the book that you're currently reading so please tell us about it and why you've chosen it yeah so this is um friend of my youth by amit chowdhury um and amit chowdhury was actually one of my tutors when i was at uea um he actually didn't teach my workshop directly but he sort of marked some of my writing and i i had read some of his work before but i was drawn to this particular book because i was having a period in my own writing of feeling kind of like i didn't know what the point of writing a traditional novel is well I suppose not what the point is but you know what I wanted to think about more how I could be experimental with the novel you know why I wrote I really want to think why do I write novels you know that was the main thing you know to me I think sometimes when you're writing it can feel you can feel quite disconnected from the real world and then you're thrown into this kind of existential crisis which is quite hard to get out of and this particular book was recommended to me by a friend sort of in a roundabout way because she sent me an essay which Amit wrote and actually that was exactly about what I'm saying it was sort of you know why do I write um, and Amit has often been his books are often considered sort of auto fiction in the sense that he writes from his life but in which I suppose every writer does but in a kind of more obvious way so in Friend of My Youth the main character is actually called Amit Chowdhury um, and he's talking about going on a on a book tour which is actually about one of Amit Chowdhury's uh, books um, which is The Immortals and I just yeah, I think I think for me picking up this book and for anyone who is interested in sort of exploring language and what writing can do and why writing can be powerful and important and why it can do sort of all sorts of different things and not necessarily sort of following any conventional structures, then I, I really recommend this book. Um, so just to give you a quick sense of what it's about, it's basically, it's set in Mumbai um, at a time when the, the character's still calling it Bombay. So it has a slight, it sort of transports you into a particular, I suppose, time period or, um, or sort of slightly different culture. Um, and, and it gives you a real sense of the city, which is lovely, but it's also about sort of friendship and reflecting on your past. Um, it's quite a slow book in terms of it's not, you know, a really gripping page turner, but it's very beautifully written and sort of thoughtful. Um, yeah, it really makes you think this one. 
Yeah, it sounds really interesting. I mean, it sounds like the author Amit Chowdhury does write a lot of very interesting things. Mm, yeah, definitely. He's he's quite a unique writer, I think. And I would say that his books can be quite challenging. Um, but, uh, but they're definitely worth it. I think they're challenging mainly because, like I say, they're not really conventional. I mean, he's he sort of approaches the, not the novel from a sideways perspective, if that makes sense. Um, and at first, I think, as with all things, I think we can be quite resistant to things which are different, you know, whether that's in whether that's in reading or whether that's art or whether that's television you know suddenly if we're presented with a new structure or a new way of doing things quite often our response is oh I don't want to do you know I don't want to engage with it which is me too you know I'm like that as well but then when you do it's really rewarding and it can feel sort of slowly revolutionary if that makes sense (laughs) a slow revolution well that's the best kind of revolution I guess um but no he does sound a very interesting character and I'm sure he's written a lot of um interesting books and you said that you first became aware of him when your friend sent you an essay that he'd written well actually so I I knew him personally because of um, of being at UEA so he as I say he was one of our tutors there um on my writing course and uh as I mentioned, he yeah, he didn't teach me directly, but he he I was very lucky to have him mark some of my work. Uh, so the sort of structure there was that you did you had to hand in pieces of work at the end of each semester, which would be you'd get feed, detailed feedback on. And Amit gave me some really helpful feedback on what was the opening of my novel, but isn't anymore. But at the time, it was. Um, and I just found what he said, I found how he, his sort of analysis of language was really helpful and interesting to me. I wish I had had him teach me directly because I think that he would have been perfect for me in my writing, really. I'm actually very jealous. That sounds amazing to have someone as illustrious as him to to read the, the opening to your novel. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that was definitely one of the best things about the course, having just having eyes, you know, like sort of having people who read your work and I mean, everyone, everyone can say something about a book. I think every reader is valuable, but having someone who sort of approaches a book from the, from a point of view of craft is really special to have, have them, um, you know, feedback. Yeah, that does sound amazing. Well, that wraps up your five books for today. And I could listen to you talk about them all day with probably the five most obscure is maybe the wrong word, but I consider myself to be quite a a well-read person and I'd never heard of them, but they all sound brilliant. And I wish I had heard of them before now. Yeah, well, I'm pleased that I could... Yeah, give give you some new recommendations. I have to admit, I think that that's the wonderful thing about reading. There are so many amazing books out there. I'm always being told about writers and books that I've never heard of. Um, and it's really exciting to to get those to add to the list. Yeah, it is great. And this is normally the part of the show where I get my guests to pick one of their five most favourite. But I, I don't think I can make you. Normally I, I would, but they're just 
you've spoken so eloquently about them all. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, well, uh, to pick my favourite, I suppose if there was one that I, I feel that is probably is probably the body artist by Don DeLillo. That's very interesting. Why would you say that's the number one? Mainly because I find that Don DeLillo is the writer that I go to if I'm having a bit of crisis with my own writing and I need to remember what language can do. And he is a master of language. I mean, not everyone likes reading him. I have to admit um, that I've recommended his books before and they're not always everyone's, uh, yeah, everyone's choice of book, mainly because sometimes they can feel a little bit, uh, I suppose, a little bit too literary. Um, But I just think that there's a sort of energy to his writing um, that I find really compelling and comforting, actually. Yeah, I think if a book can bring you comfort, then you're really onto a winner. Now we're on to the final stage of the podcast, which are the five quick fire questions. So brace yourself, drum roll. Right. Question number one. Fiction or non-fiction? Fiction. Well, reading your your background out to my listeners, I really feel that it was kind of obvious which way you were going to lean. Yeah, uh, I mean, I love non-fiction and I find, I I do read a lot of non-fiction essays and books, but I love stories and yeah, fiction is. That's interesting. Is there a, a non-fiction book that you'd recommend? Doesn't have to be your favourite, just one that you have read and think my listeners will enjoy? Um, I'm trying to think of one aside from, so aside from Confabulations, I recently read Intimations by Zadie Smith, which was brilliant. Zadie Smith is brilliant. Yeah, completely agree. I am a, a convert to Zadie Smith. Yeah, and actually, I have to admit that I read more of her nonfiction than her fiction. Um, That's really interesting, because most people will know her um, from On Beauty, which she wrote a couple of years ago, and which I I can't remember exactly when, but when it was popular, it was ubiquitous, it was everywhere. Everyone I knew read it. It was Mm. on planes, on beaches, everywhere. Mm. Yeah, I... um... I just, I find that she, she's a re- I mean, she's an excellent writer generally, but I find that her sort of essays uh, resonate with me more for whatever reason I can't really say. So question two, how often do you finish a book? How often? As in how frequently do I read? How frequently, um, yeah, how frequently do you read? How frequently do you finish a book? And a lot of uh, my guests like to answer this question actually with how many pages they give a book before they give up if they're not enjoying it. Oh, okay. Well, I rarely give up reading a book. Um, I'm exactly the same. If I've started, I will finish. I, I could probably count on one hand the amount of books I've ever properly given up on. Yes, that's true. I think that I always, I like to persevere because I think that, you can always find something um, 
I mean, there are definitely times when I finish reading a book and then I slightly feel like, not that it was a waste of time, but that I wish I'd read something else for sure. Um, but generally speaking, I try and read, I try and keep, I continue reading if I can. Um, and on average, I think probably, I don't know, three books a month, maybe more, maybe less, depending on how busy I am. I mean, that's still a, a solid amount of books to read. So well done. Yeah, well, thank so, you. You're nearly halfway through. On to the next question. What's your favourite place to read? My favourite place to read is probably on a beach, if I'm honest. But uh, that hasn't happened for a while, for obvious reasons. But I just, I love to read on the sofa. On the sofa. I would always prefer to read on a sofa rather than sitting at a desk. So set the scene. You're on your sun lounger. Let's, let's allow you that. You're on your sun lounger. Um, is there... A drink? Do you have a nice cocktail? Ah, uh, no, I've never really been a cocktail on the beach kind of person. Although I see those people and I always think I wish I was. But for some reason, <laughs> I've never been. I'm more likely to be lying on the sand itself with a very big bottle of water. Um, which would obviously now be in my reusable water bottle these days. Um, How very and... conscientious of you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I and I would normally, yeah, that would help. I guess I'd probably be lying on my front if I was reading. Um, you, you're painting a very nice picture of your soon-to-be holiday in 2021, we hope. Oh, I hope so, yeah. So following on from that, do you prefer to read in the morning or in the evening? I prefer to read actually in the afternoon. <laughs> uh, so sort of about, about now, actually, which is 3pm roughly, is my favorite reading time um i actually think it's because i tend to have a little bit of an energy dip around this time yes and the post lunch nap yeah and reading is always inspiring or energizing for me i never find it i i can't ever read before bed ever it just makes me um think about things too much so i'm i'm more likely to want to read in the afternoon that's very, very interesting. Actually, I never thought about it like that. It's something that stimulates your brain. So why would you do it before bed? Mm. Mm. So you've made it all the way through. Just one more question. Question number five. What is the book you're most looking forward to reading next? I'm actually really looking forward to reading um, The Silence, which is Don DeLillo's most recent uh, novel and I got given it by a friend for my birthday and um, which is also signed by him which has wow, made that's me a good friend I know um he works in a bookshop so managed to get me one um yeah I'm really excited to read it uh I've got I, and actually also alongside that um I've got a really beautiful book of poetry um by Rachel Long which I'm really excited about reading too. Um, that's sitting on my bedside table at the moment and I'm just waiting for the moment, uh, for the right moment to read it. As I said before, we're recording this just before Christmas, coming into the new year. And one of my new year's resolutions is actually to read more poetry. I haven't really read poetry since I was in school and we did the classic um, William Wordsworth poem about daffodils, 
which I'm sure everyone reading this is cringing remembering their school memories. So is Rachel Long someone whose poetry you'd recommend or is this your first book of hers? It's my first book of hers and what she was recommended to me by a friend of mine who's a poet. Um, and so he, a glowing recommendation. Yeah, and actually I, I do, he always gives me very good recommendations. I actually recently read a beautiful book called The Summer of Dead Birds, which I do recommend as a book of poetry. Um, I'm trying to think who the author is now though, that's awful. Uh, trying to think. It will come to me. Ali Liebergott, I think. Ali Liebergott. Um, but yeah, that's a beautiful, that's a, it's sort of a narrative poem. Um, and it's, yeah, highly recommend that. Well, if my friends are listening, you need to up your game and start recommending me poetry books. <laughs> so I know, I'll know, you know, when my birthday comes around again, if I get no poetry books, my friends aren't actually listening to my podcast. There you go, that's a real test. <laughs> exactly. So that's all we've got time for this week. Thank you so much, Millie, for being a lovely guest and giving me potentially the most intellectual recommendations I've ever had. And they've broadened my horizons massively. They've introduced me to authors I didn't know and I hadn't heard of before. But before we go, if my listeners have enjoyed hearing from you, where can they find you next? Well, actually, just today, um, I've had a short story, story published by a literary journal called the Dilly Doon Review, which is a, a small literary journal, which I think began this year, sort of in response to lockdown. So you can read a very short snippet of fiction there, which is a short story adapted from an early draft of the novel that I'm currently working on. Um, and then otherwise, I actually don't have a website of my writing. So it's kind of piece, trying to piece things together on the internet. But Trebuchet, I write for Trebuchet very regularly on art, if anyone's interested in reading about art. Yeah, and as we covered at the start, you contribute to quite a few publications and I'll place the links down in the, um, in the episode show notes so people can click on them and read more of your work. But as you touched on the introduction, you're writing your debut novel or trying to at least. Anything you feel comfortable sharing about that? I can't tell you anything about it at the moment, mainly because I get very secretive about my writing, um, <laughs> which I don't, I don't really know why. I just I sort of feel like if I talk about it, then it takes away something. Um, at this stage but I, I all I can say is that I've been working on it for a while and that I hope it will be done soon and in which case I'd be very grateful for whatever readers I can get at that time. Well I for one would certainly read it and I will be posting you my copy for you to sign. No oh, well I'll happily sign it. And I'm, I'm expecting the dedication to read Dear Phoebe to the best <laughs> podcast host in the world. Love me. <laughs> Of course, I'll make note. <laughs> thanks, I'm looking forward to that. Good luck with the novel, good luck with all of your articles, and thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, this has been really fun. Thanks for having me. <laughs>